All right, we are finishing Exodus 23 today. We are beginning our transition away from the laws of Exodus, which kind of makes me a little sad because if nobody else has been having fun with the laws of Exodus, I have been having fun. And again, as I've told you before, that's all that matters on a Sunday morning. As, as long as I have fun, then you know a good day was had by all. The blessing of today... Working from the Old to the New Testament can be tricky if you are not paying attention or if you just try to establish one rule through which you will operate. And what I mean by that is, when it comes to bringing things from the Old Testament into the modern world, there are some things that we just straight line bring right across. So things like, this is, this is not a... a a set-in-stone category, but things like the moral imperatives of the Old Testament. So when God tells you you should not murder, we don't look at that and go, well, you know, that was 1440 B.C., and this is 2021, therefore... No, no, no. God said you don't murder, therefore you don't murder. But when we're dealing with more laws that have to do with how Israel operated as a civic government or how they operated in ritual worship, we have to understand the principle behind them and then bring the principle forward. Make sense? Today, that's a whole different discussion for another day, unfortunately. What we get today in this little section are we get everything. We get things that we're going to bring straight across. We get things that we have to modify for context, then bring across. And then we get things that we use in principle. So it should be thoroughly confusing if I do my job wrong. So the more you confuse me, the more likely I am to confuse you, and fun will be had by all, right? (laughs) Now, the advantage of this is your Old Testament matters to your Christian living. There are large segments of evangelical Christianity today that would tell you that they don't. You just read the New Testament and call it a day. I don't know how they justify that. Well, I know how they justify that, but they're wrong. So I I, I shouldn't say I don't know how they do it. I just disagree with them thoroughly. So you need the wisdom of your Old Testament to grant you wisdom in the world. Or maybe a better way to put that is you need the knowledge of what is in your Old Testament and how it works so that you may then apply that knowledge and live wisely. Make sense? So hopefully that is what we're going to do today. We are going to read Exodus 23, 20 through 33. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. My angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces." But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion.
the people among whom you come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you have become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. And if you serve their gods, I will surely be a snare to you. Believe it or not, all those little categories I just mentioned are all in there, and we will get to them. So let's rewind to the beginning. Let me clear the gunk off my glasses so I can see you lovely people better. That's always important, right? And let's dive right in. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Not a new thing for Israel. We have seen this before. Go back to Exodus 14. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was cloud along with the darkness, and yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. See, we read that, and we always remember that there was the pillar, right? Pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. What we miss is that there's also the angel of the Lord leading the people. And when they get to the sea, as the pillar moves, the angel of the Lord also moves from leading the camp to being the line of demarcation. Now, Fun notes, we've covered this before, but always worth uh, repeating just to make sure if we don't see it for a few weeks at a time. The angel of the Lord is a special category. You will not see the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. Not mentioned at all. Why does such an important person who shows up at the times when God is speaking to Abraham, when God is speaking to Moses, when God is leading his people, when God is performing the miracles, when God is delivering them, this important angel all throughout the Old Testament just gone when the New Testament arrives. Why? It's not the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord is what we call a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So Christ appears in the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity bound to a human body. That is the first time and the only time in history that happens. Before that, though, there are appearances of Jesus as a person in the Old Testament. And the designation typically given to him is the angel of the Lord. So always remember, we have two categories. We have theophanies and Christophanies. So a theophany is an appearance of God. Comes from theos and what is the, is it phanero, phanero, anyway. Means to appear. There's your Greek for the day, it's fun. So a theophany is an appearance of God. So when you see the flame, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. Is God a pillar of cloud? Is God a pillar of fire? No. Is he appearing as one? Yes, that's a theophany. It's a way that you can then see God. When you see when the glory of the Lord passes before Moses, um, Exodus 34, we'll get there eventually. When that occurs, that's a theophany, an appearance of God. There are also Christophanies. So when God appears as a person, the only person of the Trinity that appears as a man is Christ. So you have the second person of the Trinity. So when you see God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, 
That's a Christophany. When you see God and the two angels standing overlooking the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah talking to Abraham, that's a Christophany. In Exodus, when God is going to take the punishment due the Israelites for their sin upon himself and he stands before them on the rock, that is a Christophany. That is Christ standing amongst his people. I point this out because this has actually happened quite a few times for both Israel now in the Exodus and Israel's people in their future. This matters because it's going to continue. This also helps explain Moses' speech at the end of Deuteronomy and what he's warning the people. Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So before Joshua brings the people into battle, an angel from God and the angel of the Lord appear to him, but do they lead the people into battle? No, no, they don't. There's a lesson being taught here. The Israelites are going to have to do this based on what spiritual attribute? Say it loud. We walk by faith and not by sight. Right now, the Israelites are walking by what? Sight. And how well are they doing? (laughs) Now you understand a little bit better what Jesus is talking about to Thomas. Blessed are you because you see and believe. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. This is the better thing, believe it or not. This is part of the lie. Yes, another person to sit on that side. (laughs) Got to balance out the room. (laughs) This is actually good news for you because the lie that we tell ourselves, and it's a lie, is I wish I could have seen insert whatever great miraculous thing you want to see. The parting of the Red Sea, the manna from heaven, the, you know, the hail, the plagues, whatever, the walking on water, Jesus calming the storm. If only I had done that, then insert your, your promise that you always lie to yourself to make, you know, dot, 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 dot. So if I had seen blank, I would not do blank. Yes, you would. <laughs> yes, you would. You know how I know you would? Israel did. The apostles did. And they, and they did see. Every human being in history who saw still did. Every human being in history who has believed still did. The salvation of Christ is not because you have been perfect, but because he is perfect. The righteousness that you carry into the kingdom of God is not because you have done perfectly, but because he did perfectly. Always remember this, as we have gone through the laws, we are going through a path of sanctification. Israel is given laws after God has redeemed them. He has justified them, and he is now teaching them how to walk in his ways so that they will honor and serve him rightly. Christian, that is how the law is supposed to work in your life as well. You are redeemed of God in Christ. You are good in the courts of heaven. You are now instructed how you should walk. Not so that 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 will stay true, but because it is true. You walk to serve because he has loved you, redeemed you, and declared you righteous. Therefore, you seek to live to the calling that he has already given and granted you. Never, ever get that backwards. Because if you do, you will lose all of your Old Testament and you will lose all of the way that the, the law and the commands of God and Christ work in your life and in the life of the believer and unbelievers around you. This stuff matters. Conversely, carry this idea forward. 
This is why your upper room discourse, John um, 14 through 17, is so important. Because what is Jesus constantly doing for the, for the disciples, if I can speak English, in the upper room? He's getting ready to go where? This is after the Last Supper. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and he's getting ready for the ascension, right? Which means they're going to be without him. What is he reminding them? There's coming another comforter. I will send to you from the Father a spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. All of these comforting reminders that even if Christ is not walking physically among them, he is still what? He is still there. He is still with them. You still have an indwelling. You still have a power, a command, and a presence from God that will guide and direct you. Israel is getting the same lessons here. They are being walked with physically, preparing them for a time when they will have to walk by what? Faith. Faith. There you go. Same ideas coming through. So, with... There it is. With this angel, be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. This is my proof that this angel is a little different from, you know, you know Joe Blow angel who just happens to come down. Isaiah 42 will tell you, I am Yahweh, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. This is not just an angel, this is the angel. He bears the name of God, something that no other angel does, something that no other being, I guess would be the right way to describe it, is capable of doing. Sorry about that. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy him, destroy them. Now, make this connection. If you didn't catch last week, we'll make it for you right now. This is where the laws that have come before and the promise that is here meet. What are God's conditions for you to have a relationship with him? Well, you have faith, but what part of your life do you get to keep away from him? None. Before your faith, before the work of Christ is applied to you, are you ambivalent towards God? Are you, you know, are you the Switzerland of Europe towards God? Are you a neutral party? What word is used to describe you? Uh, sinners, by definition, are what's of God? Enemies. You are not just, well, you know, I've done a couple of bad things, but you know, I don't really have any negative opinions towards God one way or the other. No! You're a sinner. You are an enemy of God. He is your adversary. Hence the reason the wrath of God abides upon all those who sin. Christ has taken that out of the way. The terms for you are simple. Surrender. You don't war against God and, you know, battle really cleanly and, and sort of quite kind of get there. And he's like, you know what? You gave me a good fight. I think I'll let you into the kingdom. That was a good job. No, your terms are surrender. If you'd like a vis- visual representation of this, go read Genesis 32, somewhere around verse 24, when God and Jacob wrestle. See, we understand that wrongly because we're like, well, Jacob was wrestling with God and, and he wins. No, he doesn't. He's wrestling, and God touches the socket of his hip, and Jacob's socket goes out. How many of you have ever played football or wrestled? Lose a hip, and now get leverage. Imagine trying to get low and fight someone on one leg. See, I look ridiculous, don't I? So would Jacob, which is why you see Jacob clinging to him. I believe it's um, 
oh, it's, it's somewhere in Hosea. Read Hosea, it'll do you good. Somewhere in Hosea where it says that his weapons against God were tears and supplication. Men, we know this one easy. When two men fight, one of them walks away and the other one is crying. Who won? <laughs> is the guy lying on the ground injured and crying the winner? No, not even a little bit. There's a reason why that Hosea verse is important. is because God walks away from the fight and Jacob is crying and hurt. In other words, what are God's terms? Surrender. Jacob would not surrender, so God did what? He made him. <laughs> he made him. Here, you won't surrender? Have fun with one leg. God's terms are surrender. The advantage of those terms is they are awesome. Because... Israel will conquer, not because they're good, not because they're an awesome army, not because they're the best fighters around, not because they're numerous, but because God is with them. And God is with them if they are what? Surrendered. If they have turned over their lives, forsaken this world, and walked in his ways as he has just spent chapters laying out. Um, carry that idea forward and you start to understand what Jesus is talking about. Matthew 10. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That doesn't mean go jump off a bridge so you'll die. It means losing your life as in what are you living for? What is the goal of your existence? From the worldly perspective, it's what? raise a good family, have a good job, make lots of money, get a big house, move to the suburbs, you know, all that good stuff. That should be the goal for the Christian. No, I for, I, no, look, can I do all that stuff while I serve God? Yes. What's the difference? What's in here? Why do I do the things that I do? If the answer to the why is so that I can get dot, 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 then you just found your area where you have created an idol. Jesus says it again, Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will repay every man according to his deeds. See, that's good news for us, Christian, because in Christ, our deeds are offered by faith to him, in him. Our deeds aren't good. He is good. Therefore, our offering is good. Israel is supposed to be learning that lesson right now in the wilderness. You'll win, not because you war well, but because you live surrendered lives, because you honor God by doing the things that he has called you to do, not so that he will conquer, but because he has already conquered your greatest enemy, which was what for Israel? Same, that same great enemy that you had, sin, wrath, the devil, all that good stuff. That is who Christ defeats. That is who he takes out of the way. Therefore, once my greatest enemies are gone, the rest of you people are... <laughs> what's an Amorite? What's a Canaanite? What's a Jebusite? Sin is dead. The wrath of God has been removed from us, and all we have to do is walk faithfully. This we should be able to handle. Just in case they weren't paying attention, though, verse 24. 
You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. In other words, they and you should remove all doubt. This is why Joshua, when they go into battle, is commanded to destroy some of the stuff, most of the stuff. No, he's commanded to destroy all of the stuff. Don't let your sensibilities go, well, that doesn't sound good. It sounds awesome, and it sounds perfectly fair. Why? God is the instrument of their judgment, and he has told Joshua to be the instrument of his judgment. The sin of the Canaanite is complete now, as God warned Abraham it would one day be in Genesis 15. Now it is. It is time to go in. It is time to conquer. It is time for the judgment of the Lord to be put upon the inhabitants of the land, and Israel will be the means. And it's a twofold process. You wipe them out as an instrument of God's judgment. You wipe them out because if you don't, you will live side by side with the things and idolatries of this world. Christian, how well does it work when we forsake prayer, forsake scripture reading, forsake the assembling of the saints, and then try to live as salt and light in the world? (laughs) What do we end up looking like after about 24 seconds? A whole lot like the world around us. Same lesson here. Don't live with these people. Destroy them. Don't live with your sin. Destroy it. Don't live with your idolatry. Don't manage your temptations. Kill it. Kill it with fire. This is how this is supposed to work. James 7. I'm sorry, James 7. There is no James 7. If you find James 7, tear that out of your Bible. Something has gone terribly wrong. (laughs) James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice how that works? Did you smack him? So So temptation comes upon you, you submit to God, and you say no to temptation, and then the temptation leaves. What, what was your active portion here? Your victory was in your what? Surrender. Not to my sin, but my surrender to God. First Peter 5. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. In other words, it doesn't matter what the temptation is. It doesn't matter what sufferings you are undertaking. It doesn't matter what bad things are happening to you. Submit yourself to God and temptation and sin will be put to death. By you? By him. Same promise, same idea. But you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. This is a marker. This was the marker to Israel for the nations around them. We've seen this before. So like when Jesus is being baptized by John and Jesus comes out of the water, does Jesus need to see the Holy Spirit come down? No. Does Jesus need to hear the voice of God confirming him? No. That was for who? The crowd. When Jesus, before he calls out Lazarus, calls out to heaven and the voice responds, Jesus literally tells the crowd what? That wasn't for me. That was for you. Does Jesus need the voice of God at the Mount of Transfiguration? No, he doesn't. Peter needs that voice. Peter needs to be reminded. There's a lot of things done by God, not necessarily for that person, but for those people. Same thing here. 
Israel not having sickness, Israel having bread, Israel having water they can drink, Israel being happy and healthy and wealthy and wise is not a blessing on them for them. It is a blessing on them for the nations. Deuteronomy 28. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to do. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Here's the punchline. So that all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. Believe it or not, this is where things go off the rails if you understand your Old Testament wrongly. The marker of their obedience and God's blessing for the nation of Israel was their health, their prosperity, and their wealth. Christian, is that your marker? See, don't answer just with it, why or why not? And this is why I say this goes off the rails. Do you know what the fastest growing segment of Christianity is worldwide? I I should say it like this, Christianity. Fastest growing of Christianity, segment of Christianity in the world is prosperity teaching. Go through Africa and Asia where the majority of humanity still lives. And it's not churches like ours. It's not, you know, faithful Presbyterian churches that are growing. It's prosperity churches. Why? Because you find a people who are sick and a people who are poor and a people who have been kicked in the teeth by the world enough, and you promise them health, wealth, and prosperity, what do they say? Yeah, Yeah, amen. Sign me up. Where's the dotted line? I'm in. I'm in. All right. How do I get there? Why isn't it your marker is the question you need to answer. I think an easy one is John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Their marker was their nation. Christian, where is your Christian world? Where is your Christian army, your Christian government, your earthly Christian king? You got him laying around somewhere that we should know about? The answer is no, you don't have it. That's why this is not our marker. We have been, as the apostles were, scattered, placed in every tribe, tongue, and language, and nation, so that we will do what? Be disciples and proclaim the mercies and excellencies of him who has saved us. That's not our marker, but we need one. What is it that when you find another Christian, you have a brother, you have a sister, you have a kindred spirit in God that you can walk faithfully with in this world, and you need that. I asked earlier, what happens when we try to live Christianly in this world without prayer, without scripture, and without one another? Highly technical theological term that happens to you. You ready for it? <laughs> Nothing good at all. And yes, I am equating all of those things as means of grace. Prayer, scripture reading, and one another. You can't say, well, I read my Bible and I pray. I don't need church. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. You do. 
You need encouragement. You need strengthening. You need wisdom. You need knowledge. You need teaching. That's why I do the, that's why I do the, the goofy trivia question. Not so you have knowledge, but so that you have a little bit of knowledge that you can then apply wisely. Simple little thing. Where do we find this sort of stuff? Where do I find, what do I do with Bible verses? Other Christians who have applied them. Other Christians who have walked down that same road. I need the one another's of Scripture so that I may walk faithfully. That's why love of brethren is my sign. When I forsake the assembling of the saints, I have forsaken the thing that God has given me as a security of my salvation. Why would Christ give us that as our marker? Because we do not have a nation. Because we do not have an army. We are under persecution and we are subject in many times throughout history to the whims and degradations of this world. Meaning our love is our marker because it demonstrates how we live regardless of what happens in the world around us. Go back to 1 Peter 5. After you have suffered a little while, this is after the part where he just told him that Satan will flee. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal joy, I'm sorry, his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The reason why we hold to this as our, as our marker is because this is what the apostles encouraged the church with. Paul, Romans 5, told them what? Bear up in struggles and trials because it produces faith and prunes you in this world. James 1 told the church the exact same thing. 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 5 tells the church the exact same thing. Colossians 2 tells you to be warned against the winds and waves of this world, but to be anchored and rooted. Ephesians 4 tells you the exact same thing. Luke 6, when Jesus gives you the parable of the rock in the sand, tells you what? To build upon the rock so that when the winds and the waves come upon you. Jesus warned the disciples that you'll go out and if the world hated me, it'll do what to you also? Hate you too. All of this was a preparation to go out into a hostile world with a message of comfort, peace, and hope. Shame on us if we try to change what our marker of faith is and walk in a different way. This is one of the reasons why this sort of knowledge and wisdom is good for you as a Christian. We have to be able to look at this and go, I really wish that was it. But it's not. Because this is a broken world. And I can persevere in this broken world because I too was broken. But not anymore. I walked like that. But not anymore. I lived for here, but not anymore. That's what makes us different. We're not better. We're redeemed. And there's a difference between those two. Verse 27. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. Cool. (laughs) In light of their marker of faith, as they walk and as God is faithful to them, he will demonstrate that faithfulness to the world around them. How many fights will they lose? None. They will be undefeated and undefeatable. They cannot lose the battle that they wage as long as they wage it faithfully. This is part of the lesson you'll see in the book of Joshua. When Israel does all that God has commanded them in regards to Jericho, what happens? 
and the walls come tumbling down and the walls. <laughs> Bad 70s references for a thousand Alex. What happens when they faithlessly go into battle against AI? What do you know? It suddenly doesn't go as well, does it? What's going to be true for Israel? You want to win? Follow God. You want to have success? Live in the way that he has commanded you to live. Christian, you ready? Nothing has changed. If you define success in a kingdom way. So I guess if you define success kingdomly, can we make kingdom an adverb? We just did. It is now, right? If you define your success not according to the world, but according to God and his precepts, you too are undefeated as you walk faithfully. An example of that would be something like Philippians 3. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, so that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's answer is, I don't define the things of the world as victory, I define Christ as victory. I don't define my worldly comforts as victory. I define my faithful walking as victory. I don't define my life being good as the world defines good as victory. I define my soul being good in Christ as victory. And as long as those are the definitions by which Paul is operating, guess how many battles he's going to lose? Christian, lift your eyes higher. Your conditions before God are surrender. You are called to die to this place, die to your lusts, die to yourself, and trust him. Why? Because he's already done it. You're not accomplishing anything in that. You are faithfully walking in that. He has already cleansed you. He has already given you righteousness. He has already secured your place in the kingdom. You are now walking towards it. That is what is being done. Verse 29. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. So in other words, will it be accomplished? Yes. Will it be accomplished in your time? There's wisdom there, Deuteronomy 7. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. Um, Christian, there's a really good lesson in that. How many times have you complained? Why didn't God just take all of these temptations away from me like that? <laughs> How many times have you said it? Come on, you, you, you've said it at least once or twice, right? Mm-hmm, all have. It's like, why am I still fighting this one? Because you need to. Part of the reason, because if Israel, if Israel walked into the land, beat the tar out of everybody, and wiped them out, like, so they walked in the land on Tuesday, and by Thursday, the land was theirs, and everybody had been defeated and killed. Who would they give credit to? 
be honest. <laughs> Christian, if you had gotten saved and God had just removed every single temptation from you that afternoon, who would you think is the best Christian on the planet? Be like, well, I don't know why you're struggling with that. When God saved me, I just, that just went away just, just like that. You just need to pray harder. You can hear that sentence. You know why? Because I have actually heard that sentence from Christians. Look, and this happens. Look, there are people who are raging alcoholics. Christ redeems them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And guess what? Bam, it's gone like that. And then there are people that struggle and war against that for the next 40 years of their life. Is one a better Christian than the other? No, they just have a different cross to bear. Israel's cross is they need to learn how to live in this land as God's people, a holy people, a people for God's own possession. Therefore, God will make them struggle. They will fight. They will bleed. They will suffer. They will do all of these things so that they will learn to rely on who? God and not themselves. Hmm, Christian. This might just explain why all of your sin didn't magically get beamed up the minute you got Christ. Because you learned obedience how? Through suffering. You learned humility through failure. You learned perseverance through difficulty. You learned trust when things didn't work the way that you wanted. These are the lists. Again, go, go read them for homework. Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, James 1. If I have to be technical, it's what? It's Romans 5, 3 through 5, James 1, 2 through 4, and 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5? Either 3 through 5 or 5 through 7, so you'll have to read all of 1 Peter. It'll do you good. It's one of those. Notice the similarities of language when you read that for homework. Because your struggling produces things. It's a revelation to you and to the world around you of who you are and how you got there. Israel is a real-time example of that through the years. Israel's failure is that they do not take the land. They don't take the land because they grow weary. Hmm. It's almost like Galatians 6 would tell you, do not grow weary of doing good. Because what did Israel grow weary of? They grew weary of fighting. They grew weary of obedience. They grew weary of struggling and only gaining a little bit of territory at a time. And eventually they did what? They stopped fighting. They went out of us because they were not of us. It's the same thing. This is why your Christian walk matters so much. Is because it feels like some days I'm just walking slowly. Anybody ever done any, like, mountain climbing or hiking? It's a fun place used to take uh, my youth group in North Carolina, Grandfather Mountain. It's not the highest peak in North Carolina, but it's one of the more fun ones because you can, for the most part, walk it during the day. They carve trails into the mountain, but there are some places where you literally have to go up on a rope or they put a ladder on the side of a mountain type of thing and you feel like you're hanging off. And it's, it's fun. It's great for teenagers, especially if you want to teach them a little perseverance because you can't just walk it. You actually have to struggle a little bit. And what's fun about it is if you walk in this path and you don't feel like you're going anywhere because you're just walking on the side of the mountain and you're in trees and you can't really see anything and, and it's not a ter terribly hard hike. And all of a sudden you kind of look around and you realize you've gone like halfway around the mountain and you've gone up like 600 feet. 
you realize, I'm getting somewhere. It didn't feel like I was getting anywhere, but I've actually gotten somewhere. Welcome to your Christian walk. You're just walking. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Does it feel like we're getting anywhere? No. I hate me as much today as I did 20 years ago for all the same reasons, it seems like. And then I look back and go, man, we did get somewhere. Look at look what we got. How did, man, you're good at this. <laughs> Which is the attitude that you're supposed to have. It's supposed to be a slog. It's supposed to be a battle. Which one do you fight? Which battle do you fight? You fight all of them, but which one specifically? I'll, give, I'll help you out. This one. I can't fight that one. I can't fight that one. I have to fight this one. That's Christian living. I focus on today. Can I fix Tuesday? In either direction. It's either gone or it's not here yet. Where can I serve God and live righteously? I can serve it on Sunday. Why? Because what is today? And if you didn't know today was Sunday, then we'll talk to us after the service. We'll help you out. <laughs> You'll be like, I wondered why everybody was here on a Thursday. I was confused. And then it makes me wonder why you're here on a Thursday. But anyway, again, the random thoughts that keep me out of the good schools. I can deal with Christian living today. I can deal with righteousness now. I can deal with my faithfulness, not tomorrow, but today. You know when I'll deal with it tomorrow? When I get to tomorrow, I have to work in the timing that God has provided, and I don't get to fast forward and rewind. I get to live now, and this was part of the promise all along. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That was thousands of years millions of people. Fast forward to Revelation. You'll see the saints that have been killed during the tribulation. They're all around the throne saying what? How long, O Lord? How long? And the answer is what? When it's right. Your number is not yet complete. And you know, they're sitting around going, you know, it sure looks complete. You know when, persecu- you know when persecution's the worst? When it's you. Persecution is always worse when it's you. I can, I can encourage you to go through it all day long, but when I got to start going through it is when it gets really hard. Both times I have to remember whether it's you, it's me, or it's people on the other side of the world we don't even know. Apparently our number is not yet complete. How do I know that? Because God is still waiting. But I know based on what he has done in the past that when the time is right, There is no force in this universe that will stop what he has ordained. And there is nothing that can hold back his hand. And for that I am grateful. Because I don't have to fear and I don't have to worry because I know that God will accomplish all that he has promised. This is why Moses reminded them and why we should listen to this. Deuteronomy 32. Is it not laid up in store with me? Sealed in my treasuries. Vengeance is mine in retribution. In due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. May not be as quick as I would like. But always remember, for those in their sin, that either they will deal with that, or Christ will have dealt with that at the cross. There's not another option. It will be dealt with. And for all the things that I want that haven't come yet, they're coming. 
Maybe not when I want them, but when God has decided it is good. In the meantime, what do I do? I surrender and I live now. So verse 31, I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. That's a lot of territory. Go look at a map if your Bible's got maps in it and check out how much area that is. And if you don't, you can look up Google Maps later and actually see that. From the Euphrates all the way to the Red Sea, down into the wilderness south of the Dead Sea. That's a lot of area. If what? If Exodus twenty three twenty one, Be on your guard before him. Obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. Likewise, just as Israel has a great territory if they will walk in his ways. Christian, we have a great salvation. If what? Matthew 24. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. But lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This is the difficulty. What demonstrates your faith? Is your faith demonstrated when everything is going great and you just skip along in life? That's my skipping, sorry. You skip in one place and look athletic. It's not easy. I just make it look good. <laughs> no, your faith is proven when? When you bear up, as James 1 puts it, under trials, when you demonstrate that even when the world takes this from me, I follow Christ. Even when the world threatens me with that, I follow Christ. That's where my faith is shown. That's where my perseverance is demonstrated. It is in the difficult times. That's why he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Why, when tribulation comes, are there people turning on one another? Because all the goats suddenly start doing what? They start sounding like goats. And they start turning on the sheep. Ooh, I really want to make a bad movie reference and I'm behaving myself. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You'll have to ask me about it after the service if you want to know. <laughs> they start turning on you and handing one another over because what they're recognizing is, you know what? Caesar finally found the thing that I wasn't willing to give up. Caesar finally found the one place that to me was more important than God. And so I gave in. It's the one who doesn't have anything that Caesar can take because there's nothing of this world that has value beyond the kingdom that is untouchable by the world. It's an old radio show that I used to listen to that I won't give you the name because I don't recommend listening to it. I don't even know if they're still on the air. It's been, oh, this is depressing. It's been 20 years. But they had a motto they used to, uh, advice they used to give people for dating. And their advice was, he who cares the least wins. <laughs> And it's terrible advice for a relationship, but it's true if you're ever in an argument or a fight. Put two people in a fist fight. You know who won? You know who wins? The one who cares the least about what happens. When you're in a fight with somebody, when, when you don't care about you as much as they care about them, you'll win because you know what they'll eventually do if they care about themselves? They'll give up. The person who's not willing to give up can't be beaten. That is good advice for Christian living because that's how we're supposed to live in this world. I don't care. I don't love the world. I love my God. 
Do I like my house? Yes. Do I need it? See the difference? Do I want peace in this world? Yes. Would I like some security in this world? Yes. In Christ, do I need it? See the difference? When we care about this world, the enemy has something to push on. This is why the argument is made throughout Scripture. Surrender yourself and care not about this world. 1 John 2. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. And from this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all. So you'll stand firm. Why? Because the Holy Spirit won't let you go away. You'll want to, but he won't let you. That's that slap in the back of the head. Like, I want to go this way, but I know I can't. And we rejoice because we are secure, not in this world, but in him. 32. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Here's another one we carry forward. They, just as we, should show how much mercy to the sin in our lives. Kill it, kill it with fire. Burn it all down. Because sin will not leave anything uncorrupted. And the condemnation that it brings will not leave anything undestroyed. Sin takes no prisoners. Therefore, when you war against your sin, you know what you have to do? The exact same thing. John 2 again. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. This is the lesson of time in this world. This is why time is such a blessing from God. See, I, I, this is one of my favorite examples. I didn't wear these forever. I can tell you May 2014 was when I finally put a pair of these on. Drove me crazy because I kept doing this all the time. And I'm like, I have headaches all the time. And why is everything getting blurry? The, um, the ophthalmologist laughed at me, his stories at ophthalmologist. Anyway, you know, what I mean. you know what I mean. Laughed at me hysterically because when I finally got the, 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 the lenses fitted, I literally sat there in the store and did this number. Like, man, I was blind. <laughs> and I kept walking around doing this. And Cameron was laughing at me because I'm in the car, you know, driving, looking at road signs like, this is craziness. I didn't realize just how blurry everything was. She's like, stop doing that and drive. <laughs> Before that, I had 2010 vision. That was fun to play baseball when you have 2010 vision. I could see the spin on pitches out of your hand when you were pitching to me. It's fun because you can't trick me at home plate because I can just react to what you're doing. And I go from that to I can't even read that screen. Okay, hang on. If I squint just hard enough, I can make it out. But now I put them on, it's like, ah, oh, there it is. I can read again. So I, yeah, it's, a, it's a everything. It's, it's everything. My head stopped hurting when I got glasses. Now, why? Why did you do this to me? 
because I got older. It is what it is. Because in May of 2014, hang on, I was 30-something. Anyway, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't do math. <laughs> and it was time to start breaking down. 32. Yes. I turned 32. It was May, so not yet. Getting there. Thank you. Go, Denny. That's why you woke up one day at 35, and what happened? Why does my back hurt? <laughs> it's universal human experience. You, and if it wasn't 35, it was 45. And if it wasn't your back, it was your hip. And if it wasn't your hip, it was your knee. And if it wasn't your knee, it was your ankle. As if I, as, as have I left anybody out? <laughs> why? Because you got older, and something started to break down. Why? So that the marches of time would get even you. Because if they didn't, who would you give credit to? So you persevere, and you walk in faithfulness, even though it's not going the way that I want it to go. Even though the stuff that's now here used to be, you know, used to be like that, right? And then all of a sudden it starts to do what? And next thing you know, you start resembling a bulldog, and you don't know how that happened. And suddenly there's an extra chin, and you're going, what's going on? This isn't who I used to be. It's the ravages of time. Because time is undefeated because it is one of the blessings that God has given to demonstrate that you will not win. But he will. And you conquer, not in your strength, not in your wisdom, not in your accomplishment, but in your surrender. You're trusting in God and walking in him and showing sin no mercy. Matthew 5. If your right eye makes you stumble... Tear it out! Throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off! Throw it from you! With your left hand, probably. For oh, Come on, that was a little funny. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, should you be walking around with an eye patch and a hook? No, this is not a verse on how to become a pirate. It's a reminder that when you war against sin, what's off limits? Nothing. Nothing is off limits. Do you fight fair against your sin? No, you fight dirty if you have to. Was it, was it, was a, which football coach was it? Oh, I'll use bad football reference. It was Herm Edwards. You play to win the game. End of discussion. You don't play to play well. You don't have moral victories. You play to win the game. You fight against your sin to kill it. You don't fight against it to be better. You don't fight against it so the neighbors will like you. You fight against your sin to kill it because you are Christ's. And he died for you and gave himself for you. And you will now walk in his ways. The end of Matthew 5. You are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's not a new call. That was the call that Christ gave to the people in Leviticus. And I say Christ because he was there when the law was handed down. The Levitical law called the Israelites to be perfect, to walk in holiness. And it's a harsh reality if you try to do it in your power. But when you do it surrendered, when you do it trusting in him and walking in his ways because of who you are and why you got there, then it is no longer what you have done, but it is the fruit of what God has accomplished in you. First Corinthians 6. Do you not know 
that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a list. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Meaning, that's not who you are anymore. This is why the lie of the world is so important, is because they tell you that you're defined by who you are and what you want. That's why we have a whole thing, well, I'll have a gender identity. Care. I'll have a sexual identity. I don't care. My identity should supersede those things. It is beyond the categories of this world. My identity is redeemed by the work of Christ. And everything else that I desire in this world should serve that identity. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, if I could speak English, if it doesn't, kill it, kill it with fire. That's the battle. The lie of the world is to give you any other identity than sinner. Because remember, two categories of people in this world, and I won't give you the joke because we're out of time. Two categories of people. I've told you I wasn't going to give it to you. You're either in the kingdom or you're out. That's it. And everything else is just different subcategories of in or out. Christian, if we're in, we kill it. And if they're out, we encourage them to kill it by pointing out the reality of what's going to happen to all sin. Not some sin, all sin. Such were some of you. Such were some of us. But we were washed, and we were sanctified, and we were justified, and we have been given a new power, we have been given a new calling, and a new direction, and we will get there because he will not allow us to fail if we are his. What has he lost? And the answer is nothing. Who has he lost? And the answer is no one. And if he didn't lose them, then it means there's hope, because he won't lose me either. So I trust, and I surrender my life, and I live the way that he has told me it should go, because that is how I win. Let's pray.